Hey folks, Jeff Woods here. Before we dive into the episode, we wanted to ask a favor. If you like the episode that you hear today, we would love if you would leave a rating and review on your podcast player of choice. When you do, it helps us reach more people, which helps us make a bigger impact. It also helps us understand what we're doing well and what content you like so we can do more of it. And we read every single one. For example, Than H. Maldonado said, I started listening to this podcast after reading the book. What is brought in every episode, helps bring clarity and focus to everything I'm doing. Following the principles, using the tools, I can honestly say has shifted my life into higher gear. I'm thankful for all the value that you guys provide. Than, thank you for taking the time to leave the review. And for those of you, please consider leaving us a review today. With that, let's get into the episode. This is The One Thing Podcast, where we teach you the surprisingly simple truth behind extraordinary results. My name's Jeff Woods. I'm the vice president here at the One Thing team. When you look at page 114 of the book, you see the seven circles, the seven most important areas of your life, your spirituality, your physical health, your personal life, your relationships, your job, your business, your finances. The purpose of today's episode, we're diving into the relationships circle. And what's interesting about it is it seems like when we talk with people who are in our Living Your One Thing membership or the people who we end up getting to meet when they attend our live events, there's so much focus on the job, the business, the finances. They put so much focus there that they end up neglecting relationships, spirituality, health, personal life. What's interesting is if you imagine yourself as a juggler and you, you're juggling all those seven balls, if you drop the relationship with your spouse, if you drop the relationship with your children, that's a glass ball. It shatters. Yet if you were to drop the job ball, drop the business ball, drop the finance ball, it's not pleasant, but it's a rubber ball. It bounces back. The question is, how do we counterbalance our time? How do we better allocate our focus so that we can thrive in our relationships, in our business, in our finances, in our job, in our health, in all the areas? The man you're going to meet today has been on over a decade journey of what it looks like to form powerful relationships, to really network in a way that gets results versus what I think a lot of us do, which is, uh, Jay will always ask me, are you networking or are you not working? Ouch. Today, you're going to discover some simple ways that you can really distinguish yourself and form relationships that matter. That's why we are excited to introduce you to the host of the Jordan Harbinger Show, which you can find anywhere podcasts are available, Jordan Harbinger. Eating healthy is an investment. It's an investment in yourself, but it also often requires an investment of your time. But good news is Factor has delicious ready-to-eat meals that are ever fresh and never frozen. They're chef-created, dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. With Factor, you can choose from a weekly menu of up to 35 options, including popular things like Calorie Smart or Keto Direction or Protein Plus or Vegan and Veggie. Also discover 60 more add-ons every week like Breakfast on the Go, lunch, snacks, beverages to help you stay fueled, feel good all day. And we know our listeners here at The One Thing are focused on health and health goals. That's why we choose to partner with Factor. And if you visit factormeals.com slash 150 and use code 150, you can get 50% off your first month plus 20% off your next month. 
Again, that's factormeals.com slash O-N-E-5-0 and use code O-N-E-5-0 to get 50% off your first month plus 20% off your next month. All right, everyone, welcome to our conversation today. Uh, we know that when we consider all the areas of our life, relationships is one of those circles that it's a glass ball. If you drop that ball, whether it be your marriage, a mentor, a best friend, it's a, it's a glass ball that shatters and you don't get it back. The challenge is, I don't know about all of you, Jordan, were you ever taught how to manage relationships in school? No, definitely not. Okay, definitely not. Um, it's the reason that we have these conversations. And the reason that I brought the man you're going to meet on today is because if you are the average of the five people you spend the most time with, you have two options. You can seek guidance from people who have no idea what they're talking about when it comes to relationships, or you can seek guidance from experts. And I think all of us can agree that we choose to seek counsel from experts, which Jordan Harbinger is absolutely one of them. He was the host of the Art of Charm podcast for well over a decade and now is launching his next venture, The Jordan Harbinger Show, which for those of you who are podcast fans, you can go and subscribe to. And uh, we're going to have a great conversation today about how to build powerful relationships. So Jordan, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me on, man. I appreciate it. So where did this? Uh, where did your journey to becoming a master of relationships begin? So when I was in high school... And before that, I was kind of the kid who would walk into a class and not be able to pay attention. And then there'd be a quiz and I would do okay. And then I got to college and I was not smarter than anybody else. You know, everybody else is just as smart, smarter than me, whatever. So I had to pick a different competitive advantage. And so since everybody was drinking their face off all the time in college, what I did was just outwork everyone. You know, I was able to just kind of go to class, study, actually do the work, get ahead, make that a win. And then I got to Wall Street after law school and I realized, wow, everybody's a hard worker. Everybody's really smart. That's why they hired for the people. That's why they hired the people they hired for this firm. And I thought, I'm going to get fired. For sure, I'm going to get fired. They're going to realize I'm not supposed to be here. Classic imposter syndrome, but I'm, it's only a matter of time. There was a partner who hired me who was never in the office. And I thought he must know some way to work from home. And I thought, if I can work from home, then I won't get fired, right? They, it'll take them longer to figure out I don't belong here. I'll have some sort of magical combination that I can some sort of get out of jail free card. So I had that partner take me out for coffee to sort of like mentor me. And what he did when he took me to Starbucks and he was just kind of like, what do you want, right? Uh, he wasn't a bad guy. He was just busy and he was never in the office. He had to come in to probably take me to Starbucks, huge waste of his time. And I said, so do you, you don't, you're never in the office. You know what's going on. Do you work from home? Hoping I was going to get the cheat code to working from home. And what he said was, "No, actually, I, I work from home sometimes, but you know, normally I'm out during the day generating business for the firm." And I said, "Well, then when do you get your work done?" And he goes, "Trust me, generating business for the for the firm much more valuable than me sitting around and doing the work. Like those work you guys are doing is good for you to learn, but any sort of documents that I." that you guys file that you guys need. I have my counsel take care of that. Other partners take care of that. I do. I look it over, but I'm more valuable outside than I am inside. And I was like, wait, what? How is this possible? How is it possible that you can be tan and from Brooklyn, first of all? But also, how is it possible that you play golf, go to charity events, do jujitsu, play squash, racquetball, whatever, go for a swim, go cycling, go jog? Like, what? On, what are you talking about? How is that valuable? I don't get it. And he's like, look, 
if there's an investment banker in the city of New York who has a day off, it's my job to go hang out with them. I already have relationships with a lot of these guys. And that's what helps us generate deals. And that just blew my mind. I did not realize that. I thought that you got networked after you worked your way up to the top. I didn't realize that you networked your entire way. And then then they moved you up to the top because they couldn't afford to lose the business that you generated for the firm. And I just realized I'm in the wrong business. If I want to get to the top of the law game, I've got to be able to bring in business. And if I start focusing on that now, then in five years when all these other junior associates realize, oh, I got to learn how to network, they're going to have, I'm going to have a huge advantage of time in and in put into play on this particular skill set. So that's why I started focusing on networking, relationships, and things like that. And I also found that the resources available for it were pretty bad. This is in 2007, 2008. The resources available for networking were like Dale Carnegie classes, which aren't terrible, but they're certainly not that great, especially at the high-end corporate performer level, because it's a guy in a sweater vest at a YMCA going, look him in the eye and have a firm handshake. And it's like, that's great. (laughs) But to be honest, if someone's not doing business with you, it's not because they they're like oh that guy broke eye contact too quickly or like oh i didn't like his handshake that's not the reason even if people say that's the reason it's actually not the real reason the reason that people don't do business with you is because they don't know slash like slash trust you and that has very little to do with your eye contact your handshake certainly a little bit but that might be one percent of it the rest of it is all this sort of intangible stuff that people can't put their finger on and that, of course, makes the all the difference. And so that's what I started to focus on because otherwise, you're just not going to get the results. When you think about the road to mastery, the idea of the 10,000-hour rule and deliberate practice, the idea of practicing something with intense focus over an extraordinary period of time, you've done that. And so you fast forward a decade to where you are today and you're hosting the Jordan Harbinger Show. I want you to take all the knowledge you've acquired on your road to mastery and you go back to the Jordan who just had the aha that, oh snap, I need to become a master of forming those relationships. What are the 20% items that would lead to 80% of the results when it comes to forming the right relationships? Sure. So you've all heard this before probably, but it goes without saying that you have to dig the well before you're thirsty. There's a book title from Harvey McKay about this, but the reason I say this is because People say, right, okay, dig the well before you're thirsty. But first, I got to get my website out. And then I have to get a business card printed up. And then I got to figure out my product line. And then I got to make sure that I've got my social media accounts in order. And then I got to blah, blah, blah. That's the opposite of digging your well before you're thirsty. That's called procrastinating. And I get why people do this. Because you think, I've got 100 things that I need to do to get this business off the ground. 90 of them I know how to do. Social media, getting a sales funnel, writing email copy, getting my website up. Not super sure how the networking thing's going to work. So rather than trying to figure that out right now, I'm going to focus on the stuff I get. And then I'll get to this networking thing later on down the line. That's how not digging the well before you're thirsty, even though you know that you're supposed to do that, happens. For people who have never heard the expression, dig the well before you're thirsty, what do you mean by that? What that means is you need to form the relationships before you need them. So you need to... It's kind of like putting a spare tire in the trunk of your car after you get a flat. Pretty dumb idea. But people are more than happy to do that in their business. They're like, well, I've got all this other stuff I got to do, not realizing that the relationship development, your network is foundational. It's not an add-on. It's not a bonus skill set. And you're not immune to the consequences. If you don't do this stuff, you're not immune to like, oh, well, I get a mulligan because I was busy. 
you're just being willfully ignorant of this secret game being played around you. And that's a huge, huge problem when it comes to this. A lot of people think, I'm just going to keep my head down and have the best damn graphic design firm that's anywhere. Cool, good for you. You might actually get there. You might have the best graphic design firm. Nobody, nobody cares. Very few People who discover you are going to be super impressed. People who find you randomly or through your paid marketing are going to be grateful. Everybody else, anytime you need something, you're always going to come in second. And that's a huge problem. I think for people to get started with this, if they want practicals and stuff like this, this is a thought exercise called I call layoff lifelines because I wish I did it before I got laid off from my law job, which was imagine you get laid off from your job in your own business. Fine. Just suspend disbelief here. Imagine you get laid off today. Make a list of the 10 or so people that you would call for advice and or a job, not just a job, but to mm. help you in some way. And then contact those people right now when you don't actually need anything specifically. Because as we all know, it's pretty crummy when you hear from somebody that you haven't heard from in five years and they're like, let's go out for coffee. You're like, great. And then you show up and they're like, so Herbalife, these shakes are great. Or like, so Scientology, <laughs> right? Like, it's not a good feeling. Buy a set of tires. You just feel duped. And to a certain degree, that's going to happen. Even if you're in a desperate situation, people understand you got laid off. It's sad. It's a bummer. But if you've never spoken with that person, they're so much less likely to help you. That's why finding a job when you don't need one, when you've already got one, I should say, is the best time to find a job. Making a sale when you don't need to figure out how you're going to pay your rent, best time to go make a sale. Natalie asked a really great question, which is in line with the one thing, which is we know everything doesn't matter equally and your time is limited. You can't invest in every relationship. Right. How do you encourage people to be selective about who they invest in relationships with? So I think people actually overestimate how much time... First, so there's two prongs to this. People overestimate how much time they need to invest in relationships. Yes, you need to invest a lot of time in relationships. No, you can't invest in everybody. Got it, whatever. People use this, and I'm not saying Natalie's doing this, but people use this as a pretext to be like, I can only talk with five people this month because you can't invest in everyone. There are a lot of things that I do that are highly scalable. For example, every day, pretty much, or at least every weekday, I scroll down to the bottom of my texts on my iPhone and I text people that I haven't talked to in a while. That's actually one of the reasons why I reconnected with you because I was like, wow, it's actually been a really long time Look at you almost all the way at the bottom of my text messages. And so I, it also gives you a chance to delete all those like, here's your Instagram verification code, right? You can get that out of there. Um, <laughs> and you find people where you go, oh yeah, this is this dude I met at a conference like eight months ago. We went out to lunch and I, I guess I forgot to follow up with him. You send them a text that says something like, hey, it's been a minute. Haven't spoken to you in a while. What's the latest with you? No rush on the reply. Um, by the way, this is Jordan Harbinger. We met at this conference a while ago. I don't expect you to have my number in your phone still. You need to do all of those things. Because if you say no rush on the reply, people go, oh, great, good. And they usually will... In Actually, it, I found it increases my response rate mm. because people don't think this guy wants something. It sort of signals, you don't even have to reply if you're too busy. You can even literally say that. That's really good because then they don't go, oh, he's going to try to sell me a set of steak knives. Right, salesmen don't say don't bother replying if you don't have to. Secondly, I say something like, "It's been a while. Here's my name. I don't expect you to have my number." That way, you avoid new phone hoodis, and you also avoid the person going, "Oh, I'm so embarrassed. I don't know who this is. I don't want to say who is this, so I'm just going to ignore it." If you just say, "Hey, look, I don't expect you to remember me or have this number in the phone. Here's my name," they go, "Oh, of course." 
of course I remember you. Or actually, I didn't have your number saved. Good thing you said that. Good thing you wrote that down. It's really helpful. And you can do that three or four times a day. And not everyone will respond. Who cares? 75% of the people, 50% of the people will. And then you just start re-engaging. You get in these little text chats. And it's a work day, so they don't expect you to sit there and chat all day. And you just kind of re-engage a little bit. That's something that's so scalable. If you do that with four people every weekday, that's 20 people a week. It ends up being 80 people a month. Yeah, you can't invest in everybody, but how many people do you think are in your network where you're going to run out of time to send four texts a day? You yeah. just you don't you have time. You're just you're not doing the right activities. And I think there's something to be said for the thought that counts, right? You don't have to have this long lengthy conversation or have coffee with them every other week. Just right. have, I'll turn the tables on you who's listening to this. Imagine if you got a text out of the blue from nowhere from somebody just mm-hmm. saying, "Hey, I had been thinking about you. I hope all is well. No need to respond if you're too busy. Just know that I'm thinking about you. Is there anything I can do to support you? How would you feel if you received that text message? Over time, would you, if that consistently happened out of the blue, how would you think about that person? And if one day that person did call upon you for a favor, would you be more inclined to support them? How do you become the type of person who can bring value to other people? Yeah. So this is another thing that I think a lot of people misjudge. They go, look, I'm new. I don't have anything to bring to the table. I don't have money. I don't have a big platform. I don't have a unique product or anything like that. So I can't network because I don't have any value. And that is a very good sounding excuse that misses the point entirely. So if instead of trying to be closing business all the time, so instead of ABC always be closing, we're always generous with our time. We're always generous with our our efforts. We don't need to have money. We don't need to have a platform in order to bring value to the network. We can ABG instead of ABC. So we help other people without the attachment of anything in return. And what this this is actually logistically easier than trying to find people that can actually help us right away. If I'm a graphic designer, I'm only looking for the one in 100 people who need graphics. If I'm looking to help other people in my network by introducing them to each other and making beneficial introductions... I probably have a chance to help 99 out of those 100 people. Mm. Because unless somebody needs something ridiculously specific, then I'm probably going to be able to help them out. And the the thing is, this gets easier the bigger your network gets. If you know 100 people, if you know 10 people, oh man, I only know 10 people. That's a pretty small number. Everyone listening to this and watching this knows more, but you just might not think of it. Every single person does. If you're trying to connect people within that circle of 10, challenging. If you meet 100 people over the next year, now you can you can introduce the cryptocurrency investor to the CPA who specializes in tax planning because you've made those connections. Now you don't have to go, well, I'm just a graphic designer and none of those people at this event wanted graphics, so I didn't get any value. No, you're just trying to plug other people into each other. Since I'm not trying to match a need they have with the service I provide, I'm just trying to find out who in my network would be a good connection to the other people that I'm talking to. I see there's so much more opportunity to give value there. And all it does is requires a proper introduction that's screened well. And now you're generating social capital from both parties instead of going, well, I don't have any special skills. It's like Napoleon Dynamite. I don't have any skills. Just the networking skills is more valuable than the skill you bring to the table in a specific niche. I think that it's easy to skip over everything you just said, Jordan, and not truly understand understand the profound effect of it. Everybody's heard of six degrees of separation, the idea that you can be connected to anyone through just six degrees. And it's way faster 
and shorter with the internet. The truth is everything you could possibly ever need is likely within your current Rolodex. Somebody knows somebody. The question is, how do you become the type of person who can help everyone else in your world get what they want by simply connecting people you're already in relationship with? I agree. And I think that a lot of folks don't realize this because they're only focusing on their particular skill set. And that is a huge problem. If you're only focusing on what you know, even if you're... Think about it like this. A lot of people that I that you and I both know, we have tons of expertise in tons of different diverse areas. But the odds of us, even if we're even if we're 60 years old and we spend every year learning a different skill, the odds of us being able to match a room full of 100 people, zero. Still too many things that people need that we don't actually have. If you're just trying to match other people to each other, the the probability goes through the roof. It ends up being like in the millions because of the amount of combinations you can make just in a a circle of 100 people or more. For people who don't know the the backgrounds of, of my story, this is how I ended up getting in business with Gary and Jay for the one thing. I literally, when I met Jay Papazan, tried to bring value to him by interviewing for for the mentee. And then I figured out he needed more help by getting more exposure. So I connected him to other podcast hosts. And then I circled back again and wrote an article for Entrepreneur and started blasting it on social media. And when Jay was resharing my post, I asked him again where they needed help. And he mentioned they were looking for a CEO for a publishing company. I'm a medical device sales guy. I'm not a publishing CEO. But I said, I know three people that might be a great fit who were publishing CEOs. I was just trying to play super connector. And when he described the person they were looking for, he actually described me. And that's why I'm their partner. I mean, that's powerful. You can't really get around that. No. So my question for everybody who's listening, if people don't decide their futures, they decide their habits and their habits decide their futures, what habit could you acquire such that by acquiring it, would allow you to be the type of person who naturally connects other people. And what would that unlock in your world? Jordan, I'm curious because I, I know when people get really excited, they they see your pretty face, they take some action, and then they're and then they're not consistent. What type of systems and models have you put in place so that this isn't something that you're relying on your discipline to muscle through and get this done? It's actually just some a model and a system you can follow over time. Yeah. So I, I sort of go through two different types of network maintenance. And maintenance is probably not exactly the right word because you're also going out and creating new connections, but I'm just gonna I'm gonna include that as part of networking maintenance in general. So the first exercise that I gave where you scroll down to the bottom of your text, that's really, really easy. It's kind of opportunistic in a way because it's just sort of being shown on your phone. Other variants of that that I use are when I'm on social media, if I look at my Facebook newsfeed, there's a bunch of people that have big life news and a bunch of junk. But there's a bunch of people that have big life news, right? Somebody had a baby, somebody had uh, got a new car, somebody got married, something like that, or somebody had a negative event. Instead of just clicking like or making a little sad face or something like that, on or even a comment on there, which just goes unnoticed most of the time, or somebody clicks like on that, that's the end of the interaction. I would say take it a little bit further. And the way that we could take it further are attack. Let's say, let's say you see somebody had a baby on Facebook. Instead of clicking like, which is on the bottom of the engagement totem pole, I would say, instead of making a comment, which is second to the bottom, you can either 
email that person if you have their address. You can text that person, which is even more intimate than an email if you have their phone number. Or if appropriate, and there's sort of a wall around this one because you got to make sure it's appropriate, you can go and reach out to them in person somehow. Or you can call them on the phone if that is within your sort of... If that's appropriate within the confines of your relationship, you can do that. Those are more intimate connectors. So Facebook's already giving us an algorithm. Instagram is already giving us an algorithm that shows what's important in someone's life, at least according to the community. Ironically, if something is really important in someone's life, what Facebook does is show that to more people, which increases the odds that your communication on that particular post gets lost in the ether. So if you dodge all that by going, I'm just going to send them an email or I'm going to text them, we know that something like 100% of text messages are read within 10 minutes. It's like 99 point something something percent. That's huge. How many emails that you send are read within 10 minutes? 1%, not even probably. And Facebook comments and likes, if they're ever seen, is a small single digit percentage and who knows how much time it's going to take to happen. So... I encourage people to use that opportunistic network maintenance to engage at a higher level than the platform itself allows. Because it doesn't matter. I don't care if Facebook wants me to click like. I'll click like and then I'll send a text message. That type of opportunistic network maintenance is really, really easy, super scalable. You're already farting around on Facebook anyway when you're waiting for your coffee at Starbucks, whatever. The other things that I do are more systematic network maintenance. So this might be operating out of a CRM program like contactually is something that I use where I play a bucket game and the bucket game takes all of my recent contacts, asks me, how often do you want to keep in touch with this person? Every 90 days, every 45 days, every year? What is it? Great. So I throw them in a bucket every Monday or once a week for an hour. I log into contactually, hit the dashboard. It shows me people I haven't talked to elsewhere outside their bucket. Oh, you haven't talked to Jeff Woods in 90 days. Send him a message. I usually don't do the send an automated email follow-up because I hate those. I will send a text. I'll call the person on the phone. Sometimes I'll use an email thing, but I never automate it because it's just... I feel like that's a little bit too sketchy. Uh, It doesn't really... If you're not putting in any effort, maybe it tells you something about your value to that... or how much you value that connection. So Mm -hmm. I like to put in the effort there. But I still use the CRM system because... I don't think it's cheating to be reminded about one of the 1,100 people or so that I probably meet each year uh, at conferences or events. I think it's silly to expect other people to remember everything and remind, think of you in the moment. So it's great to be reminded by something like that. Using a CRM like that, it's not cheap, it's not free, but it is a great way to stay in touch with people. And even at worst, you can wish people a happy birthday if you see it on Facebook. I'll export the birthday calendar in Facebook and import it into mm. my personal calendar. And then I'll wish people a happy birthday. That's really useful. This stuff is useful, man. It's something that you should be doing on a regular basis. People care. I know it might seem trite, but people do care. And these are things that do not take that much time. This is fully scalable in the systematic and opportunistic network maintenance put together will keep people engaged with you on a regular basis all of the time. Yeah, I think where people get tripped up, and I, I've just seen this so much with the one thing, is they they get bought into the idea, they start trying to live it, 
to a, a standard of perfection and they fall short of the perfection and they start mm-hmm. to feel like a failure. So they give up. But the truth is, even if once a week, if, if like one of the things you said, that's very systematic. Every time you're on Facebook, if you see some type of life event, you're shooting the person a text versus mm-hmm. liking or commenting. That's a system. That's, that's not super hard. That's low tech. And the question that I would submit to you who's listening is, would you be better off as a result of doing that? Is that one thing that you can do that would make everything else in terms of forming relationships easier or unnecessary? It's just, it's that progress over the perfection. And I think that that matters a lot. Uh, Natalie asked another question. She said, how do you engage with someone when you do actually need something from them? You want to call in the favor. What's the right way to approach? Yeah. I think that if you've been doing this right, if you've dug the well before you're thirsty, you've been maintaining using systems, whether opportunistic, systematic, or both. And especially if you haven't been making common networking mistakes, like keeping score or something like that, you don't really have to worry about it. And of course, if you've been doing the ABG thing and adding value the whole time, it's really easy. I think this question answers itself for most people because we think, oh man, I feel awkward asking for something. There's some people that feel awkward asking for something no matter what. But for the majority of us, I think we feel awkward when we go... I need some from this guy and I have been ignoring him for like a year and he texted me and then we were supposed to go out to dinner and I bailed on that because I was busy and now I really need to do something with this guy and that I and and I feel awkward how do I ask that's when it feels weird as well it should because you know you kind of have been pulling a quid pro quo or you've been ignoring this person you haven't really been doing the abg you haven't really been digging the well you know you're asking for somebody to put themselves out if you are if you've been doing everything, it's kind of like calling a friend or talking with a friend or texting a friend or emailing a friend and going, "Hey, look, I don't know if this is a fit for you, but I wrote a book on dog grooming and I know you have a lot of pet owners in your audience. Would you mind sharing this with them?" And the other reason that a lot of people don't want to ask for something is if it's really clearly not a good fit. You know, mm. "Hey, Jordan, I want to come on your show. Wait, who are you?" Yeah, yeah, I'm a really big time leader in the business space. That's weird. I've never heard of you in my life. Cool, here's my ebook. Delete. Right? Those people they they don't make it through, and there's a reason for that. But those people probably should have more of an element of shame when asking for something because they haven't bothered to add any value or do anything. Sort of the paradox here is that a lot of really nice people feel really crappy about asking for what they want and what they need, and a lot of really shameless takers really do not. You're not going to come across as a taker if you're digging the well before you're thirsty, you're adding value, you know, you're doing the ABG thing, you're using systems and you're not keeping score. So you really have nothing to worry about. So that said, if if you're doing all this right and you still feel weird about asking, which is like the 1% or maybe 10% of you, somehow you have something against asking for things and, and utilizing your side of the equation, I encourage you to reframe your behavior or your mindset and think of it like this. People want to help you if you've been helping them and been communicative. They're going to relish the opportunity to actually help you back or help you with something because you've helped them in the past. So look at it as an opportunity for them in a way. I mean, it sounds a little arrogant, but it's kind of like, I'm going to give you the opportunity to help me back. But you should be thankful that other people are asking you for help as well because it gives you the opportunity to cultivate social capital. In other words, that that whole I owe you one, that is what your opportunity is when it comes to this. So that is the opportunity you're giving other people as well. 
Well, I think the other thing, and I saw you do this, Jordan, is it's okay to ask and you give them an out. If it's not a fit, totally cool. But it's okay to ask for help. People in their bones naturally want to help people around them. And especially if you make it easy for them to say no, so it's not awkward, you really don't have a problem. Exactly. Yeah, give them an out. Or if this doesn't fit into your editorial calendar, I totally understand not wanting to have me on your show, mail out to your list, put the blog post up on your blog. Yeah, Jordan, no offense. I really don't do much dog grooming anymore. It doesn't convert for me. Yeah, no problem. Not no problem. And then you're writing their name on a list of like people that screwed me over when I needed the most, right? That's, that's called <laughs> keeping score and it will poison all of your relationships really quickly. I think one way to... to sh- shift the frame around this. I want you to imagine that somebody came up to you and in a very heartfelt way, whether it was in person, over the phone, text message, they very sincerely asked for help. It was genuine. It was sincere. They asked for help. In your bones, do you want to help them? I think every single one of us, we want to be the type of person that can help other people. And it feels good when you help other people. So my question for you is, is your approach genuine? Or are you approaching with bravado? ego. How do you just be a real person, ask for help and give them an out? Jordan, though, when you think back to the beginning of your journey, what was the one thing you weren't doing that had you start doing earlier would have completely changed the trajectory of your relationships? What was I not doing? Yeah. What Or what are most people not doing that if they started doing immediately would change everything? So the first thing is one one of the things I already mentioned, the always be given where connecting people with other people in your network. I was doing what everybody else does when they first start off, which is what's in it for me? Cool, I need to be on blogs because when I started in 2006, people had blogs and you could go, hey, will you link to me? And they go, yeah, if you link to me. And I go, great, totally. And then, you know, quid pro quo, cool. What I wasn't doing was going, hey, I noticed that you're not really doing your best work on this audio thing. I can help with that. I was never doing anything like that. Or, hey, you should meet this other person. I was never doing stuff like that. So that whole ABG cross-pollination thing, I wasn't doing. The other thing that I did, which I think I'll just chalk up to like youthful folly and ego was I was keeping score. So I would ask somebody for something and they'd be like, yeah. And I'd be like, good, this is a good person. And then if I asked somebody for something and they were like, no, I'd be like, I'm never helping that person if they need something. Right? Super petty BS. And that really didn't do anything for me, right? Think about it. Then they need help and they reach out to you and you have an opportunity to create a relationship where there was none or increase the relationship that you have. And you go, no, I'm going to be petty about it. Great, cool. Now you both lose again. Way to go, idiot. And that's kind of what I was doing in my early 20s. I was like, if this person doesn't help me, I'm not going to help them. So we both lose twice. So stupid. So stupid. Mm -hmm. So what I'm hearing you say, if you remove your ego from the equation, you stop keeping score and you're the type of person who act just is always giving that over the long run, you end up getting what you want. Yeah, this is kind of the flip side of the ABG coin. The mistake is people go, cool, I'm always going to be giving. But if Jeff doesn't help me back... I'm not going to help them ever again. And you end up with a big problem because you create these covert contracts where an agreement exists in your head or my head alone, where I'm like, okay, well, I helped Jeff with this thing and then I helped him with this other thing and then I helped him with this other thing. And then finally, when I ask you to share the dog grooming ebook, 
you're like not really a good fit for my audience. Instead of going, that's fine. I go, this guy sucks. He's a taker. I never want to be friends with him again. What a dork. I'm going to talk smack about him behind his back. That doesn't, or, or even if it's not quite that bad, it doesn't help because now I poison the well. So then next time you come to my neck of the woods, you're like, Hey, let's go get some Greek food. And I'm like, Oh, sorry, bro. I'm really busy. Meanwhile, you're like, gosh, Jordan's been really cold the last few months. And I'm harboring this grudge because I kept score. And in my mind, you broke our covert contract where I helped you, but you didn't help me back, even though you had a legitimate reason. So I label you as this person who in my story has been trying to keep me down, right? And people do that all the time. People do it with dating. They do it with business. They do it in their own family. We do it with our friendships. It's one of the most toxic behaviors you can have. Keeping score and trying to make sure that everything is quid pro quo is the quickest way to make sure that nobody ever wants to help you with anything and that you have no friendships. Because even if you and I go, look, Jeff, I don't want to have any sort of funny business. I'm going to help you. You're going to help me. We're going to make sure it's balanced. And you're like, great, because we're both really petty scorekeeping guys. So you help me once and then I help you once and then I help you once and then you help me once. Well, we're still both annoyed at each other because, well, I helped you with a big thing and you only helped me with a little thing. And you're like, well, no, I helped you with a big thing and you only helped me with a little thing. Now we're both mad at each other because we have covert contracts and we still broke the agreement. There's no way to win. There's no way to sort of barter with this stuff and win. No matter what, even if it looks even to you, the other person's secretly harboring you know, even if you have a written contract, trust me, yeah. I've been there. How many of you right now have been blindly taking action, putting one foot in front of the next without ever actually pausing to see clarity on what you actually want and if the steps you're taking are lining you up toward a destination you actually want to arrive at? Nat- Natalie's your, your, your best question asker of the day. Um, sure. Who's someone not in your current network that you'd like to be connected with? It's actually less important for me to get connected directly to, let's say, Barack Obama, and much more important for me to get... This is another... This is a great question because it leads to this this thing that people don't think about. I'd much rather be connected with the person who he trusts to go, hey, you should do this Jordan Harbinger show. The kid's cool. Okay, I'll do it. I don't need to talk to him. I don't want to talk to him until he gets here in front of me. I want to talk to the person who goes, hey, Barry, this is a good opportunity. That's the key player not the actual person himself. I don't want to talk to Will Smith. I want to talk to his his manager and have him go, this guy's rad, you've got to do it. And he goes, cool, man, no problem, sign me up. That's who you want to talk to. So what I just heard you say is that having the relationship with the super connector is more important than having the relationship with, example, former president of the United States. Every time, without without exception, 100% of the time. Unless you're going to have some sort of connection where it's like, good thing you jumped in front of that bus and saved that person's life and they're forever indebted to you. And now you can, you're you're always going to be better off talking with somebody who can influence that person than that person themselves. Because if I know how I react, if you ask my closest confidants about something, you have a much better chance of getting on my show or getting me to do something necessary than you do if you just email me. I will gladly respond to your email. I'm a pretty nice, accessible person. But I put these structures around me so that I don't feel compelled to say yes to everything. Or I will, and I will out, I will overbook myself. And then I will have my wife or assistant or somebody else rip my calendar down and go, Jordan can't do it. You need to influence the people who influence that person's calendar, not the, per- not the person who's, who you're trying to get in touch with they're just going to bump it back down to their assistant. And their assistant's going to go, yeah, you don't have time for this. Sorry. 
and that's going to be the end of you. So here's here's where we really I want to drive the nail home home for people because you just said it's more important to be connected to those super connectors, the people who actually have the influence than the end person because it's the gift that keeps on giving. So my question for everybody to consider is where in your life are you trying to be the it person when you could be the super connector that everybody wants to be connected to? Do you see how the value suddenly changes massively when you become that person, how much your influence is exponential? And so the question is, you take that future reality and you boil it all the way back to today. What is that single? What is that one thing that you can do, can do starting today, such that by doing it over a period of time would make achieving that reality your actual reality? Final question, then we're going to wrap, Jordan. There are people who, if they hear about your Rolodex ticket, it almost gets put on a pedestal. It doesn't seem achievable for them. Yet they say, I would like to have those types of relationships one day, but I'm not yet at your level. What's the next best step? People need to put... So what what I I think I mentioned this earlier, networking is a way of being. It's a set of habits. It's not like this thing you do occasionally. It's also not this sort of esoteric knowledge. How do I get this? How do I make this happen? It is consistently digging the well before you're thirsty, introducing other people to each other, preferably using, you know, double opt-in style introductions, uh, asking people for help when you need it to strengthen those relationships. Actually, thinking of challenges that you need handled is is something I touched on earlier, but you really need to be doing this. On the other side of the equation, think about challenges that you yourself are dealing with. Ask someone you know for an introduction to somebody else who might be able to help. That actually strengthens your relationship with the person you ask because you're asking them for advice. It's called the Benjamin Franklin effect. And you're getting an introduction out of it. Does that make sense? Yeah, we'll go into the Ben Franklin because it it seems counterintuitive. It is. Okay, so the backstory is that Benjamin Franklin had some enemy back, I don't know if it was in the Senate or if it was in you know, I, I Congress, I have no idea, founding father drama. But he had some enemy and he knew the guy collected books, which by the way, a book was like the cost of a Ferrari back in the day. Books were so valuable. If you had a library, you were like the, it's just a ridiculous sign of wealth back then. Especially. So he found somebody who collected books. They had a rare book. And uh, he said, Hey, so the guy that can't stand me that I don't get along with, I heard you're in possession of a really rare book. I'm really looking to check out this book. You obviously have great taste in books, whatever. Would you mind letting me borrow this book? So the guy says, Of course I wouldn't mind because it's a gentlemanly thing to do. So he sends him the book and Ben reads this or whatever, wraps it up, sends it back with a thank you note that's like, thank you so much. You're really great. I really appreciate you lending me this. I couldn't find this thing. What this did was the guy who lent him the book rationalized in his head, well, I must like this Ben Franklin guy because I lent him one of my most prized possessions, this book. You know, I lent it, I did him a favor. And you don't have to ask somebody to borrow their car or, hey, can you do this really difficult thing for me? You don't have to do any of that stuff. You can just ask for advice. You can ask for small favors. You can ask for introductions. And people will think, this is a subconscious process, but people will think, well, I helped this person out with something, so therefore I must have some affinity for them. It's not exactly a hack. If the person can't stand you, if they hate your guts, asking them for a favor may not work. 
if they're just sort of neutral, lukewarm to, to negative on you and you say, hey, I'd like to do this thing, it can sort of be the difference there. And it can certainly strengthen the relationship. So yeah. it's not just important to ask for things that you need when you need them. It actually strengthens the relationships. You're not spending and using up the social capital for getting introductions or for asking people for help. You're actually strengthening your network by doing it. Another way I remember when a mentor shared this with me, when they when you ask for help and they help you, they're making an investment in you. And just like how you invest money in real estate or the stock market, you want to get a return on your investment. And so when they make an investment in you, they're they're committed to you on some level. They are that much more likely to make an investment because they've already invested once. And if you're the type of person who takes the action and says, thank you and asks again, you guarantee the return on the investment. They're gonna invest again. Mm-hmm. Cool. Exactly. What's one thing you didn't do that ultimately led to a massive failure or pain point in your life? One thing that I did not do that led to a massive pain point. I never really, when I was younger in my career, I never took stock of what I actually wanted to be doing. I always went, I got to knock out the next step. And it it never seemed to me like the next steps were optional. And a lot of entrepreneurs have already moved past this phase, but I'll say it anyway, because I think a lot of people do this in their business too. It's like, okay, I've got to go to law school because that's the best way to get a great education aside from a medical education. It's a really good way to get a graduate education that can be transitioned into politics, law, some sort of other technical role, corporate, everybody will hire a lawyer. It's a really good thing to do. So I was like, I have to do this. And I got into a really good school. I have to go. I never went, hmm, here are all my options. Here's everything that I can do. I got this really great opportunity over here. Should I take it or should I forego it in favor of something else I'd rather do that might lead to other great opportunities? I just took the nearest best opportunity, which sounds super logical. You got into a top 10 law school, you have to go. No, you don't. You can take an unpaid internship at a crummy company in another country so that you can learn Russian. You should have done that, Jordan, right? But no, I went to law school, racked up debt, got a job on Wall Street because I needed to pay off that debt. And that led me to where I am today. I'm not sorry about it, but if I had to do it over again, I certainly would not take that same path. But nobody in their right mind, even at that age, uh, looking at the traditional path, nobody in their right mind goes, well, I got in this really amazing law school and I got a partial scholarship, so I should just say screw it and not go at all, right? It was people who were lawyers were like, if you got into Michigan and you have a partial scholarship, you li- you have to go. You are crazy if you don't go. So I went, well, that's good advice. And it would have been great advice if I actually wanted to be a lawyer, have a corporate career, et cetera. But I wasn't sure about any of that at that time. Awesome, man. Well, thanks for coming on. I really appreciate it. And best of luck. I know the the Jordan Harbinger show is already crushing it. And I look forward to listening to your upcoming episodes. Thank you, man. I appreciate the opportunity. Well, there you have it. My conversation with Jordan Harbinger, host of the new podcast, The Jordan Harbinger Show, which you can subscribe to anywhere podcasts are available. Folks, you're the type of person who listens to content and backs, backs it with action because you know that's where the results come. Our question for you is out of everything you heard in this episode, what's the one thing you can do such that by doing it, everything else would be easier or unnecessary when it comes to your relationships? I think one of the things that really resonates is 
the idea that you just got to stand out. You just got to be a little bit different. And it doesn't have to be massive. Like when everybody else is just clicking like on Facebook, are you willing to pick up your phone and actually send a text? And if you're not willing to do those things, are the quality of your relationships reflective of the effort that you are putting in? I think many of the ideas that Jordan shared today, especially the idea of digging the well before you need to use it, is just so important. People always show up looking to get. Yet what's surprised me on my journey is the most successful people showed up looking to give. They showed up looking to bring value to people first, not expecting anything in return because they knew if they became the type of person who simply added value to others, in the long run, things would come around to them. Not to mention, that just seems like a much more fulfilling way to go through life. We hope that you will back this one with action and that you'll empower someone else to live the principles today, whether that means sharing this episode with them or teaching the concepts to them yourself. We just hope that you continue the journey. If you are not yet subscribed to the show, please go ahead, click that button so that all future episodes will automatically be downloaded to your device. And thank you to those of you who recently left us a rating and review. It really does mean the world to us and we actually read every one. Specifically, a huge thanks to Thin H. Bokau from Singapore, which I'm probably botching your name, so sorry for that. But he recently left a review noting that he's 29 years old out in Singapore. And the thing that he really loves about the show is the ability to break complex issues into actionable steps. And to Mary Zelli, who said that they specifically loved the episode back on March 5th and how it's helping them be more accountable to their life's goals. Folks, we read everyone. We know when you comment and it also helps us reach more people. So if you have not left us rating and review yet, please consider doing so today. With that, thank you. And we look forward to being with you in the next episode.